may be seated. Let us pray together. Oh God, we do give you thanks. Thanks that you always gather us in as your people. You are as close, truly, as the air that we breathe. So we pray, God, not that you would come into our midst, not that you would reveal yourself, but rather tune our hearts to your abiding presence always. Open our minds and our ears that we might receive the word that you are always proclaiming to us. For God, we recognize it is not you that need to communicate better. It is we who must listen. And so we pray, O oh God, that you would speak and move in our midst this day by the mighty power of Jesus. And all God's people together said, Amen. Amen, Amen indeed. Now, uh, I have to make a confession before you in that um, I love bread. We're going to show you a little video that's going to run in the background of our very own Lori Sweeney making the communion bread that we're going to share this morning. So we'll see if we can get that on the screen. There it is. It's in silence, just going to run in the background so you can watch. A little water. I believe that's the magic yeast. Followed, of course, by flour. A wee bit of salt. And then off to the races she goes. I love bread, and then bread comes in a lot of different shapes. I like bread when it's sliced. I like it in a loaf. I like it when it's round with a hole in the middle. Both when it's a bagel and when it's a donut. It doesn't matter how it comes to me. Bread in any form is one of the great loves of my life. It is my Achilles weakness. It is my kryptonite. Over my entire life, the thing that I have struggled with most in my eating and my diet is bread because I love it so. And it's magic to watch it happen. Now, I, I cook at home quite a bit, but one of the things I've never really mastered is making bread. And so when I watch Lori do this, to me, it actually feels like a form of wizardry happening in my midst because I do not understand how this process works. Whenever I try to bake bread, I make the equivalent of a hockey puck. And so this, for me, is just mesmerizing to watch it happen right in my midst. Now, one of the ingredients you probably saw her put in that mixture when she first started was yeast. And it was dry yeast that you put into water in order to activate it. Now, there's other kinds of yeast that you can buy today that are, that are um, moist, that you can roll up in a small little ball, if you will. You can add that into the flour, and it will uh, provide leavening to the entire loaf. Now, when you watch the bread bake, it, it happens magically because uh, we put it in a little time lapse so you can see it bake and rise. Is anyone hungry yet? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's rather alluring to watch bread being made. And there's the final product. Now, oh, very good. You got some golf applause out of that. That's very nice. Excellent, excellent. All right. Now, the parable before us today that you heard Mosavo read just a few moments ago is a parable about, parable about the leaven. And leaven, yeast in this case, is the thing that a, a woman comes and hides in a batch of flour. And there's two parables in Matthew's gospel that sit right next to each other. There's the parable of the mustard seed, which the choir sang about in the anthem. 
And then there's the parable of the leaven that comes right after it. So for this morning, I'm going to focus, as you can tell, more on my obsession about bread. So we're going to be focused on the parable of the leaven, but the parable of the mustard seed is present to us as well. And this is part of our series of messages we're working through all during the season of Lent called Lost and Found. And it's not so much about how we go from being lost people to found people, but how it is for us in this Lenten season, we can find strength, hope, patience, endurance, even in the moments of our life where we might feel a little bit lost. And so today, I want to talk about small things, leaven, mustard seed, and their significance. And there are three choices, three choices that I'd like to offer today that we might wonder about as God's people that we could make during this coming week. And choice number one is this. It's the choice for quiet actions over loud words. Now, in the parable, it tells us about this woman who places leaven in three sata of flour as the measurement, and she hides it. She does it when no one's looking and no one's paying attention. She adds leavening to the flour quietly and almost secretly. There's a tremendous amount of value to what's happening in this particular short parable. The kingdom of God is like leaven, which a woman hid in three sata of flour. The world in which we live, would you not agree, is filled with a lot of loudness. I mean, uh, the, the age of the internet has presented to us a constant bombardment about things we need to buy, things we need to get, places we need to go. It's unrelenting. You can't go to hardly a website without being bombarded with the, all the opportunities that you should be taking in your life. It's rather overwhelming. You know, a lot of us in our web browsers have an ad blocker. I wish I had a blocker that would stop all of the other noise that comes my way when I'm using the internet. And even when we engage in activities like social media or even just news media, it seems like volume is rewarded and affirmed. And what we read in this parable is something very different. A woman hid the leaven in the loaf of bread that was there. It, it almost has this covert sort of quality to it. It's very much akin to what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, when you pray, go into your closet and pray in secret. And all of those spiritual disciplines Jesus talks about, whether it's prayer, whether it's fasting, whatever it is, we're encouraged to do those things quietly without drawing attention to ourselves. I served the church in San Diego. We had a member of that congregation. I've mentioned to him maybe once or twice before. A very wealthy man owned quite a few shopping malls in Southern California and a chain of restaurants up and down the California coast. And one of the practices he kept every day in his life is he would, at his desk, when he would first arrive in the morning, is he would write two thank you cards every day to people. And he would send them off in the mail, and they would arrive. So two thank you cards every day, 365 days a year. So you all can do your math, can you not? Like about 732 thank you cards going out every year. 
So one would wonder why someone who's a multimillionaire would spend time writing thank you cards every day. And, and what Bob would often say is that this was the way he was reminded to express gratitude. And so how wonderful it was to receive one of Bob's cards. I got two of them when I served as his pastor for five years. And they were just a delight. Thoughtful, well-written, specific. They were just encouraging words. Just a, a quiet, covert action he undertook every morning sitting at his desk. But it proved to bear so many results as he shared his faith with other people through such a simple practice. So a question we could wonder about this week is this. What quiet action can you take this week to bring love and grace in Jesus' name? And here's the rule. No one can know but you. No one can know but you. So what's one action you could take? Maybe it is writing some thank you cards. Maybe it's just doing some things for your neighbors or friends. Maybe it's just taking upon yourself these quiet actions of sharing your faith in Jesus Christ with other people without drawing attention to yourself. That's one choice we can make. We can choose quiet actions over loud words. Now, there's a second choice that we can make, and it's a nuance of the first one, but it is a little different. We can choose small actions over large gestures. Small actions over loud gestures. In the parable, it talks about a woman who takes a relatively small action. She takes a little bit of leaven. Now, back in the ancient world, there's no such thing as dry yeast. Dry yeast wasn't invented till late in the 19th century sometime. So before that, when you wanted to leaven anything, you had to use a, a starter. In other words, that was some dough or some other, uh, even sometimes a slurry that you had from a previously made batch of bread that you would then dump into the mixture so then it would leaven. So it's very much like people bake sourdough bread today where they use a starter as they make each and every loaf. And this is how it worked in the ancient world. They use a starter. So when it talks about how she leavened all of that flour, she hid that in there. So it's not a dry thing she put in it. She put actually a wet thing in a bunch of dry flour. Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Well, it's a small action. It doesn't take much to have a, a significant difference. It's the same about the parable of the mustard seed, isn't it? Jesus says, consider the mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds, but from it grows a, a great plant. Now, I can tell you about mustard seed, how much it grows, because on my farm we lived on in Oklahoma, uh, during the uh, springtime, wild mustard seed would explode everywhere throughout our 160 acres. And if you wanted to have a good time, the good time was to get on the tractor and to cut that down. It's like being exposed practically to mustard gas. So you would have to wear goggles and a mask because as you got it, it's so powerful. And it was so hard to stop it from growing. It would grow everywhere. And the variety of mustard seed that grows in ancient Palestine, it still grows there today, that small seed can grow a bush that can be seven, eight, nine feet tall. And like Jesus says, the birds of the air can come nest in its branches. The seed is very small. 
but it grows something, relatively speaking, very large. In the same way with this leaven, a small amount of this leaven is added to three sata of flour, and it has a significant result. What I want to suggest to you is that these small actions are not meaningless gestures. They're very meaningful, but they're meaningful in their effect, not in how they start out. Now, we place a lot of value on small things in our world today. You may not think that we do, but we place a tremendous amount of value. What would happen today if you were to lose these? These are my keys. And if I were to lose these keys, my life would be thrown into utter calamity, wouldn't it? The same way if you would to lose your cell phone, your life would be thrown into calamity. These small items are things that represent significance for us in many different ways in our life. There's a passage of scripture that I think we need to hear. It's a different one. I'm going to put it on the screen. It's Zechariah 4.10. How many of you have been reading Zechariah lately? No one? No one's been reading Zechariah lately. Zechariah is a fantastic book. It's the second to last book in the Old Testament. And it's filled of stories about Zechariah who has a series of night visions or like nightmares he has. And they're wonderful pictures he has. And this particular vision is about a, a leader in Judah centuries before Jesus called Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel seems like a nobody. And listen to the verse, verse 10. Just the first part. It's a rhetorical question. For who has shown contempt for the day of small things? Such a great verse of Scripture. Who has shown contempt for the day of small things? And in this case, that's Zerubbabel, this nobody out of which Judah and Jerusalem are going to be rebuilt after their exile. It's a great passage of Scripture. You see, we live in a world that appreciates large things, grandiose things. When was the last time you saw a newspaper article about the smallest skyscraper ever built? You don't read about them very often, but the tall ones you do all the time. See, we've, we've been inculcated into believing that large gestures are the only ones that will have an impact or have a meaning. And what Jesus is telling us is in the economy of the kingdom of God, it's the exact opposite. It's not large gestures that make big shifts and change. It's small, little actions that make the difference. Like a woman hiding leaven in some flour. Like a small little seed being planted in the ground that turns into a very large bush. There's a story of a woman who had gone through her process of being trained as a nun, and she was deployed in the late 1920s to Calcutta, India. She lived in a convent, and then for 17 years, she would go to a nearby Catholic school to teach. And 17 years, back and forth, this woman went, living in the convent, teaching at the school location. And after doing that for 17 years, in 1946, this woman decided that she was going to move out of the convent and move into the neighborhood where she had been teaching. And so she left the convent with some consternation around that. It was a bit controversial for her to leave the convent. And she went and lived in the neighborhood where she had been teaching. That woman, as you know, is Mother Teresa. And the movement that she started in Calcutta of serving the poor and oppressed didn't start until she moved out of the convent. 
So how many thousands of lives were changed by that woman's actions that started out as what? A U-Haul truck. A tiny, tiny, tiny little action that turned into something that was huge. So a question we might wonder about when we talk about small actions. What small action of Christ's love might you take without regard to the outcome? What action could you take without regard to the outcome? And here's the rule. No one can do the action but you. So you can't try to get somebody else to do something. <laughs> you have to do it yourself. What small action of Christ's love might you take without regard for the outcome? There's three choices, and here's the third one. Choose multiplication over addition. Choose multiplication over addition. Now, the woman in the parable is not without ambition. It says in the parable that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman added to three sata of flour. Does anyone in the room know how much three sata is? It's 50 pounds of flour. And when that leaven mixed together with the 50 pounds of flour happened, that would yield enough bread to feed 150 people. It starts out as a very, very small amount of leaven, but when mixed together with the flour and then bread is made from it, 150 people are fed from what started out as a very small amount of leaven. She, in many ways, in the parable, chooses multiplication over addition, but be careful of what Jesus' language here is. The kingdom of heaven is not the woman. The kingdom of heaven is what? The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman hid in 50 pounds of flour. So the idea here about the kingdom of God is it's the leaven. It starts very small, but it has an exponential result. Just like the mustard seed, it starts very small, it has an exponential result. You should be picking up a theme as you hear the parables of Jesus over and over again. You might remember a few weeks ago the parable of the soils, talked about how Jesus tells the story of a guy that went out to sow seed, and some fell on the road, some fell on the rock, some fell on the road. And then he says, but the seed that fell on the good soil returned a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. The very best year a farmer could ever have would be a sevenfold return. Jesus says 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. You see what Jesus is trying to help us understand that the economy of the kingdom of God is that it scales quickly, but it begins with small actions. It begins with small actions. So the ambition here isn't to do something great or grand or big or loud. The ambition here is to do something small and let God multiply it. God is in the multiplication business. This is how the kingdom of God functions, how it works. Now, back in 1783, that's a... 18, sorry, 1873, got my numbers backwards. 1873, Hiram and Mercy Peace left Pennsylvania to come to Seattle. Two lay people, husband and a wife. And they showed up in Seattle and started gathering together other free Methodists who were moving to Seattle. And they met in their house. 
And after meeting in their house for seven years, then the pieces called up the Free Methodists, probably not on a telephone, and asked the Free Methodists to send a pastor because they had grown to be of a size that they needed a pastor to serve them. And so the very first pastor came to serve that church in 1880. In 1890, the members of that church that started in the Peace's living room founded Seattle Pacific Seminary across the street. The Peace's were lay people. <laughs> Do you think they called the Free Methodist mothership and asked permission to come to Seattle? What did they do? They picked up and came to Seattle on their own, without asking for permission from anyone, to start a life here and to start a free Methodist movement in Seattle. It's a marvelous story. We're sitting today in a building and in a community that is the legacy of their decision. They prayerfully sought the Lord, and God said, go to Seattle and start a movement, and they did. Just as much as any one of us sitting in the pew today could make the very same decision. Choose multiplication over addition. This, this is the economy of the kingdom of God. And one of the things I believe about the kingdom of God is this, that when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, I believe that he's dominantly talking about himself. That where he is, where he is located, where he is present, the kingdom of God is present. And so Jesus himself is the lesson of this parable. Jesus himself is the lesson of the mustard seed, of the soils. Here's an obscure guy who comes from a city called Nazareth in Palestine, way up in the north, a city nobody really cared about, born to a family that nobody really knew very well. And from that, from that little seed, from that little beginning, from that little tiny place that was forgotten in the ancient world, comes the Savior of the world. Does this sound familiar? This is a theme that repeats itself again and again and again in Scripture. And as God's people, just take a moment and soak in that truth. Soak in the truth that even the smallest choices that we make in life, if we give them to God, if we surrender them to God and place them at the very feet of Jesus, God can multiply them into something that we will never imagine. What if you had a whole church filled with people that wanted to do that? Look around. We are that church. And this is God's call for us. To take small, quiet actions. Every single one of us. In the belief that God is going to multiply that which we offer to the Lord. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion. Is there any more powerful truth in our midst that we live out every single week of this little teeny tiny piece of bread that we give you and then you dip it into a little bit of grape juice? I mean, to, to, the, to the uninitiated, it sounds like nonsense, doesn't it? What kind of ridiculous rite is that? But for us as Christians, it's our way of proclaiming every single week the death and resurrection of Jesus, this obscure man from Nazareth 
has saved the world. And that man from Nazareth, when you come for communion, is looking at you right in the eye. And all he's saying is, follow me. Follow me with what you have. If you think it's little, if it's not that much, if it doesn't really matter, perfect. This is exactly what God works with. So let's pray together. God, we pray that you would take that which we bring to you today, as small as it is, and as small as sometimes we think we are, Help us to offer it to you in belief that you will multiply it. For, Lord, you teach us again and again and again that your kingdom and your reign and your rule start in very small movements that have an effect that we could never imagine. So we're thankful for people like Bob Wilson, for Mother Teresa, and for Hiram and Mercy Peace. And that how they have demonstrated this truth to us. But most importantly, Jesus has demonstrated this truth to us. So as we gather for this holy meal now, remind us that great things always begin small with you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so thankful today to welcome Brian Lujiojo, the Dean of the School of Theology, who happens to be a free Methodist elder. And a part of our church and a part of our tribe is going to lead us now in our time of Holy Communion together. Mm-hmm.